0: Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. Everybody doing all right today? I'm going to tell you that 830 was with me today, so y'all got a lot to, lot to live up to. All right, you good today? Everybody's with me? All right, all right. Well, today we are concluding our three-in-one series And today we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, when we talk about three in one, if you haven't been with us the last couple weeks, let me just kind of bring you up to speed. When we say three in one, what we're talking about is we're talking about the Trinity. The Trinity is a word that is not used in the Bible, but the idea of the Trinity is very much there, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the three parts, the three distinct parts of one God that we worship and that we serve, which we've been singing about a little bit today. And so we're talking about the Trinity over the last few weeks. And today we're going to conclude this series talking about the Holy Spirit. But it's important for us to remember something that I started the very first week, a couple weeks ago, talking about when we talk about the Trinity. Because really the word Trinity has only been ascribed to God and this Godhead uh, since about the 2nd century. Tertullian started talking about it. The 4th and 5th century is really where it got adopted by the church. But this idea that there is three persons, three parts of God, and what does that look like, and what does that mean, and who are we praying to, who are we worshiping, who are we singing about. And so when we talk about the Trinity, there's three principles that I think we all need to make sure that we stay connected to. And the first is this. There's just one God. We're not talking about three gods. We're talking about one God. And that's important because there are faiths, there are religions, there are even parts of Christianity where they would want to kind of make you think that there's three different distinct parts or maybe two different distinct parts that you're worshiping separately. We're talking about one God here, not three separate gods, one God. We're also talking about the fact that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are each fully and eternally God. So within this one God, we have these three distinct parts, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they are each fully. Fully God and fully eternally God. So when we're talking about the Holy Spirit today, we're not talking about one third of God and he's lacking two thirds. And so we're just talking about a portion of God. The Holy Spirit by himself is fully God. And eternally God, which we'll reference. And when we talked last week about Jesus, fully God, eternally God. We talked about God the Father, fully God, eternally God. And so we are talking about each of them uniquely, distinctly, but we're talking about them as one. And then the last principle is this. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is each a distinct person. So we can separate them out to talk about characteristics of each of them individually, which we've tried to do the last few weeks. And so today, as we continue and really conclude this series about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about uh, the Holy Spirit in the context of the Trinity, not just the Holy Spirit himself. We're talking about the Holy Spirit in the context of the Trinity. And, And when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's not something we shy away from here. I don't know your faith background or your church background. I'm not sure if you were really exposed to the Holy Spirit, either from a teaching standpoint or an experiential standpoint. But over the last... Nearly five years that our campus has been in existence, which is crazy in and of itself. We'll celebrate our fifth anniversary on January the 8th. So mark your calendars be here. It's going to be an incredible celebration. January the 8th. Five years. We spent the first four years or so at Sequoia High School, and we've been in this facility just a year, which, again, seems crazy. It seems like we just moved in. So we've been here a year, but over those last five years, I went back and looked. We have preached on the Holy Spirit, specifically the Holy Spirit, either by the Holy Spirit just specifically or as a larger part of a message. We've specifically talked about the Holy Spirit about eight or ten different times in this five years. So we don't shy away from talking about it, and and we don't shy away either from really experiencing the power of God through the Holy Spirit in our worship services or our expenses. But can uh, can I make a confession to you this morning? And I want to say to you publicly what I said at 830 and what I have said to smaller groups of people the last few weeks and months that God's been dealing with me about. I think over these five years, and specifically over maybe the first two or three of those years, and then at different seasons of time over the last two years or so, I have attempted to lead us in a way that would manage the Holy Spirit in our gatherings. And here's what I mean by that. It was never done intentionally because of some kind of disregard or disrespect or that I thought I could do that or I had the authority to do that. I understood that in our gatherings, there were always people who were not followers of Jesus Christ. I also understood that in our gatherings, there were people that came from a lot of different faith backgrounds. And so the Holy Spirit may not be something that they were super comfortable with, even though I grew up in a Pentecostal church, which is what we are. We call ourselves a Pentecostal church. And when we say we're a Pentecostal church, what we mean is that we attribute the work of God and the work of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost as something that can be available to individuals today that we say in our corporate gatherings and individually in our lives, we believe that the power of Pentecost, the power of the Holy Spirit is available to all of us. And that in our gatherings, we want God to demonstrate that power in and through each of us. And there have been times in the five years that we have been in existence, and probably even in previous years of ministry for me, where I have attempted to script our services and manage our moments in such a way that we didn't leave room for the Holy Spirit to manifest is probably one word that some of you would be comfortable with. just demonstrate himself in and through people in our services. Now, we always want to have a plan, and we're not going to stop that. We always want to have a plan and to, to be prepared and to have an idea of what we want to accomplish in our gatherings because we believe that that honors God. But as a part of this, we also want to say, God, we give our plan to you now, and we ask you to do what you want to do in our services. And and I, I apologize to you today publicly. Again, I've apologized privately to some groups of people. Not that I feel like I've done sin or I've done anything wrong, but I want to make sure that our gatherings are always full of the power of God every single time we gather. Because I know one thing, you didn't come to hear me, and you didn't come to hear a band. You came to meet with God. And if you came to meet with God, I want you to meet with God fully. And so I give you my word that we're going to attempt to continue to create space for God to do whatever God desires to do in our gatherings within the construct of what we believe God has uniquely called us to do as a church. And so if we're talking about the Holy Spirit today, I thought, man, how do we do this? Because again, I've been around this teaching and this idea for most of my life. And so there's a lot of ways that we could go and a lot of ways that we have gone in previous times that we've talked about this subject. But I thought it would be great for us just to start in the Bible. That's a great place to start, right? At the beginning of the Bible and really work through a number of scriptures today about the Holy Spirit. So you've got to put your thinking caps on. But I, I hope this doesn't come across as some type of lecture because it's not at all. It's a dynamic presentation of God's word and God's scriptures about what he says to us about the word of God. So first and foremost, like we've already talked about, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is God. And we know this a number of places in scripture, but the book of Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 and 20 are the place that we find the great commission. The great commission is that mandate that Jesus gave to his followers just before he left the earth for them to go and to make disciples. And this is what it says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is Jesus talking, which last week we talked about the fact that Jesus himself claimed to be God. His closest followers claimed that he was God. And here he is claiming that the Holy Spirit is equal to the Father and the Son in the way that we baptize people as new believers, That if we're going to make new disciples, we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Equal parts in the way that we are baptizing them and calling them forth. But it doesn't just start there in Matthew. Because I kind of thought, and maybe this was me, and and I'm sure nobody else had this thought. I think I referenced this two weeks ago in preparation of today. But I kind of thought in error that, you know, God the Father was the God that was existing in the Old Testament. And then Jesus showed up in the Gospels. And then Jesus left and the Holy Spirit showed up in the book of Acts and that's kind of who we have left with us. Well, that's not what the Bible tells us. In the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, in the very first chapter and in the second verse of the very first chapter of the very first book, we read this, Genesis 1 and 2. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, in the second verse of the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible, we see that God's Spirit is present there. Genesis 1-1 tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In creation, the Spirit of God existed. And then out of that creation, before we see the systematic approach that's spelled out over the next two or three chapters in Genesis of the seven days of creation and all that was created, before we get to that systematic telling of creation, what we see is that there was chaos. The message translation in Genesis 1-2 calls it a soup of nothingness. There was chaos that existed there. There was just nothing. It was formless and it was void. And there above that formless void, that soup of nothingness hovered. The Spirit of God. That's comforting to me because it tells me that from the very beginning of the story of God and humanity, that God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the breath of God was there with creation. And that's important. This soup of nothingness and the Spirit of God there in the midst of that soup of nothingness is something we're going to come back to in about 20 minutes. So just hang on to that thought. So from the very foundation of the earth, the Spirit of God was present, And we see that God had a plan for the Spirit of God to be at work in our lives. And we see then that after Genesis, we see the story of God begin to unfold through humanity. We see Exodus, and we see Moses, and we see Joshua, and we see the children of Israel being formed into a nation. And we see other nations warring against them, and them warring against those nations. And we see them becoming this people And as a part of that, there became these prophets, and God would speak through his prophets. The the Spirit of God would impress upon them and speak directly to them about the words that they would say to the children of God. And then the children of God would petition the prophets to speak to God on their behalf. And then after the prophets are coming here, or even in the midst of that season, we come to the prophet Joel. And in Joel chapter 2, we read in verses 28 and 29, we read this unfulfilled promise. Even though God's Spirit is speaking in that day through the prophets, we read this unfulfilled promise of how the Spirit of God was going to work in the future in the lives of people. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29 say this. And afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will pour out my spirit. Future tense. So even though the spirit of God is working in his people and through the prophets of that day, he's saying there is yet something to come that's even more powerful And it's the fact that God is not just going to speak through a specific person, a specific prophet, for a specific purpose, to a specific people. He's saying, no, 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 listen. There will come a day when the Spirit of God will actually be poured out through everyone that makes themselves available to God to be used. Men and women, young and old, free and servant, they will have the opportunity for the power of God, the Spirit of God, to work through them. But it's an unfulfilled promise because he says, I will do that. I haven't yet done that. I will do that. There's something lingering here that hasn't yet been completed. Right now in the Old Testament, what we see is we see this story of God with one specific group of people, these Hebrew people. We see him working through and talking to the specific Jewish people about the plan that he had for their lives and the way that they would interact with other people. But we understand that the story would later change And so when we have the Old Testament coming to a close, it's still God interacting with this one group of people, this one Hebrew people, but he had proclaimed, he had promised through the prophet Joel that the Spirit of God would be a part of everybody, man and woman, young and old, all groups of people, that he would speak through them. And then Jesus shows up in the New Testament. Jesus comes, he's born a baby, which is how most of us were born. He's born a baby. That was funny. Y'all gotta hang with me here. That was hilarious. So he's born a baby. We're going to celebrate that soon. And how do you celebrate babies? You give gifts to one another. I love it. So he's born a baby. He lives this sinless, blameless life. He walks around with his disciples, this ragtag bunch of guys that just don't ever seem to get it. They're always a little bit behind. They never seem to really know what's going on. And soon he's going to go to the cross. Soon he's actually going to go and he's going to be killed on a cross, even though he's blameless, even though he hasn't done anything wrong. He's going to be put to death. And we talked about last week that after he's put to death, they put him in the tomb and he's resurrected. But Jesus says something crazy just before that happens to his disciples that has always astonished me. Like when I read it, I almost can't make sense of it. Like it just doesn't seem to make sense in my head. And I'm sure it makes sense in your head. He says in John 16, verses 5 through 7, to his closest followers, he says this. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me where are you going. Rather, you're filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, or your translation may say helper or counselor, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. If I go, I will send him to you. It's for your good that I go away. That doesn't even make sense to me. Like, I would think there's no better thing in life than for physical Jesus to be right beside me. I mean, just walking with me, doing life with me. I can talk to him. I can ask him any questions. Adam Smith, come here real quick. Come here. Come here, hurry. Hurry, 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 hurry. Imagine... This is going to be a stretch for some of you, and I understand why it's a stretch. Imagine that Adam is Jesus, okay? That's really difficult, I know. I get it. I get it. But just imagine that Jesus is literally this close to me, like just doing life, like we're just walking along. Hanging out, doing life. He's patting me on the back like that. Just, this is great. We're doing life. Like I'm watching him perform miracles. I'm seeing him heal people by spitting in mud and putting mud in their eyes. Like I'm watching him feed five thousand with five loaves and two fish. And we're just walking along. After he finishes that, we're just walking and he's talking to me and he's telling me stuff. And I'm like, "You are so smart." This is a stretch. I know because Adam would not. I would not say that to Adam. But to Jesus, I would be like, "You are so smart, Jesus. I don't even know what I would do without you." And then one day. Out of the blue, Jesus, Adam, says to me, listen, I'm I'm leaving. I'm going away. And it's actually better for you that I separate myself from you physically, that I go away from you. It's better for you that you're not walking beside me. I don't know that the disciples did this because he makes fun of them a little bit. He challenges them. He says, you haven't even asked me where I'm going. You're just filled with grief yourself that I'm leaving you. But it's better for you that I leave because if I leave, then I get to send the helper. I get to send the advocate. I get to send the counselor. Thank you. I'm, I'm thinking like it doesn't make sense that there's anything better than Jesus walking beside me except when I think about the fact that he says over the next few verses that the helper, the advocate, the counselor will actually bring into correction the things that are wrong. That he has the ability to live in me. And to call what is wrong and make it right and to bring correction and judgment to those things that require it. And so then I can almost wrap my mind around the idea that it's, it's okay that Jesus isn't beside me because he promised that he would live in me. Like I guess that would be the only thing that would make it better for Jesus not to be right beside me is if he was living in me. If the truth of what he's saying is here, that if it's better for him to walk away from me and leave me so that he can place the Spirit of God inside of me, then I come back to the question that I asked you earlier during our time of worship. If you really believed that the Spirit of God lived in you, how would it change the way you live? If you really truly believed that the Spirit of God lived inside of you, If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you prayed a prayer, you accepted Him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, you asked Him to forgive your sins, lead in God, and direct you. You said, I want you to lead me, I want you to guide me. He does that from within because He places His Spirit in you. If I truly believe that God's Spirit is in me, how would it change the way that I live? Jesus goes to the cross. He's put as a dead man into the tomb. He's raised from the dead. He begins appearing to his followers and to other people. We talked about last week, which Pastor Mark did an incredible job challenging with us with this idea, that if the resurrection isn't true, it doesn't matter if we believe anything else. Because what it shows is that there's no power greater than him. Nothing you and I could face is greater than the power that exists within Jesus that God can do on our behalf Jesus ascends back to the Father, and then we come to this pinnacle moment of Pentecost. The pinnacle moment of Holy Spirit power in and through us. We get to Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. It's incredible. I mean, it's like, oh yeah, this is the Holy Spirit. This is when he shows up. This is awesome. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4 says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, Now, if you're, if, you, if you're not familiar with the Holy Spirit, if you weren't raised in a church where the Holy Spirit was talked about or experienced in some way, maybe this is something you've read. Maybe this is a whole new story in the, in the Bible. But maybe you, you were. Maybe you were raised in the church. You, you read this story. You, you don't know if it exists still. You're not sure if this still happens, but you've read it and you know what it says. That they came together when Jesus told them to go and wait, go and tarry in the upper room in Jerusalem. They came together, And they were in one accord, they were unified around one thing. We're praying for, we're believing for this thing that God said through Jesus Christ that we needed to wait on. And so they go down, and they or they go up into the upper room and they wait there. And then they hear this violent, blowing wind. And then these tongues of fire come down from heaven. And it says that they split and they divide and they come and they rest on each person. And then it says that those same people, that these tongues of fire came and like rested on them, that those people began speaking in tongues. And for some of you, are like, that's where I check out. Like, that freaks me out. I don't know what that means. Like, is it, is it going to happen right now? Like, am I supposed to look up? What? I don't know what that means. These tongues of fire came and rested on them, and they spoke in other tongues. Now, in this instance in Acts chapter 2, what it means to speak in tongues, they came out of the upper room down onto the street there in Jerusalem, and there was a festival taking place. It was one of the feasts that had been given to the, the church and to the culture there. And so these, this festival's taking place. And the Bible tells us that there were, there were Jews from every nation in the known world at that time that were in the streets there in Jerusalem. And they were all around this place because they saw these people spilling out into the street from the upper room, and they were speaking in tongues. They were speaking in these, for them, unlearned, unknown languages. But it just so happens that all the people that were on the street could hear them and could understand them. Because the words that they were saying in languages they had never learned were the words that were being received by people that actually spoke those languages of the nations of the earth. One of the most confusing stories in all of the Bible is found in the book of Genesis where it talks about the Tower of Babel. If you're not familiar with that, that's the place where the people gathered together and they were getting really smart and they were figuring some things out. And they kind of joined all their forces together to try to build a tower up to the heavens. And the confusing part is then God looks down and he sees that they're being successful and he decides that he's going to confuse them. And so instead of giving them like a handbook like from Ikea because that's confusing enough, instead of doing that, what he decides to do is to confuse their language. And so he makes some of them speak one language and others speak another language. And then he separates them and he spreads them out across the earth. And you go, well, I don't understand that. Well, guess what? I don't really understand it either. I'm not sure exactly what God was trying to do in that moment, except that I see from Genesis all the way to Acts 2 that where God separated them and sent them out to different languages, he brings them all back together to Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. They walk out of the upper room, and these Jews are proclaiming the good news that the Jews had always had, but that the rest of the earth had not yet received. And so they began proclaiming the good news in these languages, and I'm making up languages from today, but then there's a guy speaking Spanish, and he hears the good news in Spanish for the first time. And there's a guy who speaks Chinese, and he hears the good news in Chinese for the first time, and they began proclaiming that good news. And then they go back home. And it opened up the gospel to the rest of the earth. It opened up the gospel to the rest of the world. And, and so we see these unlearned languages and you go, well, I, yeah, I mean, okay, I can even buy into this happening on the day of Pentecost. But I'm not sure that it ever happened again. It maybe ended right there. Acts chapter 8, verse 17. These people are converted. And then it says this, Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, And they received the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. Acts chapter 19, verse 5 through 7. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. This is conversion. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. There are several examples in the book of Acts and in other places in the New Testament. We see examples throughout history where the Holy Spirit power would fall on people that had already received Christ into their life, or maybe as a part of their conversion experience, this separate work of God through their lives where they would begin to declare, maybe in tongues or maybe through words of prophecy or words of wisdom or knowledge, they would declare the good news of God in a very supernatural way. We call this the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we see this being proclaimed as these church planters would go into all these different communities throughout the ends of the earth and Paul and Barnabas and Timothy and, and they, Peter, they would show up into these communities. And sometimes they would have to declare that good news for the very first time. But other times they would show up and they would go, we, we heard about this. We heard what has been happening in Jerusalem. We heard about the day of Pentecost. We heard, Can you tell us more about it? And they could just begin to help fill in the gaps of what God had been doing in the earth. Because if you listened in Acts chapter 1, which we didn't read together today. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says that when they were to go to the upper room, it said that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came on them to be his witnesses. I think sometimes we have used the Holy Spirit as like a feel-good medicine. We said, I just want to show up in church. I want him to sing my favorite song. I want to feel good. I want to get the goosebumps. I want to go out, go to lunch, and be like, that was a good service. Because the Holy Spirit was there. I felt something. And I believe you can feel the Holy Spirit. But if you are not proclaiming the good news of God out of your life through the power of Pentecost, I'm not sure that you are fully operating in the gifts of the Spirit. It's not just about gathering together and feeling good. It's about coming out of those gatherings and proclaiming something to people that need to hear it. That's what the day of Pentecost was about. It was about these cloven tongues of fire that came down and rested on them, and they came out of the upper room, and they declared something that brought about change in the culture and in the communities where they lived. That's what we've been called to do. And there is so much more that I would love to talk about. Like, even as I was studying this week, I was thinking, man, this would make a great six-week series, and I've got 30 minutes. So there's a ton here that I haven't even had the chance to unpack. But here's the thing that it comes down to. When the Holy Spirit is doing something in you and the Holy Spirit is doing something through you, there are some tangible things that we see. One of those, or really nine of those, is found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And I told you earlier in the service that for me personally, I I probably led us away from some of those dynamic moments of worship where God could really kind of do what he wanted to do. And and it came out of some some of my own history because I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I grew up in several Pentecostal churches And, and I don't want to demean All the people that were a part of those churches because there were some good, God fearing, God loving people that God used in mighty ways. But I was also a part of some experiences where I saw some things that people labeled as a move of the Spirit of God. And they may have been. But for me, watching it, I could not reconcile in my mind how the Spirit of God could work through somebody that I didn't even know if His Spirit lived in. I wasn't even sure they were saved. And yet they were doing some things, and I was going, wait, 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 wait. The stuff that comes out of your mouth outside the church does not match the stuff that's coming out of your mouth inside the church. And I don't know which one's true. And it created something in my heart that I've been wrestling with now for a couple of decades And in ministry, I've probably been leading us to make sure like, okay, let's focus on the gifts. Let's focus on the gifts. Let's make sure God does something through us. But at the same time, don't avoid God producing fruit in your life. Let the Spirit of God build your character, grow your character, prune you. Let there be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Don't let it just be about feeling good in a service or God doing something dynamic through you. Let God do something in you. And so sometimes I pushed back and I pushed us away and I I took us around a moment because I just wasn't sure that we could manage that moment well, that I could manage that moment well. And I was trying to control things because of what I was unsure about. Because Paul talks about the gifts, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, in the book of Romans and Galatians, even in the book of Psalms, in the book of Exodus, there are places where it talks about being filled with the Spirit of God and doing something supernatural. Gifts like tongues and interpretation and prophecy. Gifts like words of wisdom and words of knowledge. Faith and miracles and healing and teaching and administration and worship and helps. All these things, hospitality that we see that are gifts of God through the Spirit of God. I want to see those things accomplished through you, through us. But I want to make sure that we don't ignore the fruit of our lives, the fruit of the Spirit that can come out of us at the same time that God's dynamic gifts are coming out of us, that what's happening on the inside of us matches what God is doing through us in our lives. And so as I read through the Bible, and as I've wrestled with this personally, and over the last seven to ten days as I've been reading books, I posted on Facebook the other day, I had two ginormous like theology books for my master's program. Just, I mean, I was reading everything I could read about the Holy Spirit. I read online journals. I read some books. I read the Bible. I read different uh, things that helped me to understand, that supplement the Bible, and help me to understand the original text and what God might be saying. As I was reading through those, I came to a verse of Scripture that for me sums up this incredible idea of the Holy Spirit. This verse of Scripture is something I've read before. You've read it, I'm sure many of you. You know some of this, this concept already, and it's something I've already referenced at least two or three times today. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If you're a follower of Christ in this room, and again, I say this a lot, I realize not everybody is, and that's fine. This is a safe place for you. You can belong here before you believe anything. You ask all the questions you want because we've all got questions. But if you're in this room today and you're a follower of Christ, the Spirit of God lives in you. So what are you going to do about it? How does that change the way that you live? If God's presence is with you everywhere that you go, when you get to your job tomorrow, God's there because you're there. When you go home today, God's there because you're there. When you're talking to your spouse and talking to your kids and talking to your boss and talking to your students and talking to your co- God's there because you're there. Because His Spirit lives in you. If that's true, how does that change the way that you live? But it's not just God's presence. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says this. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. We just just talked about that. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Did you catch it? The Spirit of God that lives in you is the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead. When I read that, I think I read it on Tuesday, when I read that, honest to goodness, it was like I had watched the movie Sixth Sense all over again. You guys watch that movie? It's like 10, 12, 15 years old, and if you haven't seen it, I'm about to ruin the plot line. You should have seen it in the last decade, okay? There's a little kid who sees dead people, and the whole movie, you're like... I don't understand. There's this guy talking to him. He's trying to figure out how he sees dead people. Like you're just walking through this movie like, what in the world is going on? I cannot figure it out. And at the end of the movie, you realize that the guy is dead. I just ruined it. That's your fault. You should have watched it. The guy's dead. The kid that sees dead people seeing him because he's dead. But nobody else can see him. And when I I'm, I'm see that, then I like backtrack in the movie. I'm going, oh my gosh, how did I miss it? Like, I saw all these places that the guy could not be seen. He wasn't interacting with anybody else, only this kid who sees dead people. And when I read Romans 8, 11, Tuesday, it was like I walked back through the Bible in reverse, and I saw it again. In Genesis 1, there was a soup of nothingness, chaos, and the Spirit of God was there. Through the prophets of the Old Testament, The people didn't have direction and the Spirit of God spoke to them and gave them direction. The prophet Joel spoke about an unfulfilled promise that said, not yet have you seen all that the Spirit of God can do through men and women and young and old and free and servants. But there's coming a day. And Jesus shows up and we go, there couldn't be anything better than Jesus being here. And then Jesus says, I'm leaving. But it's better for you that I leave because the Holy Spirit can come to you and live inside of you And then the day of Pentecost comes, and the power of God falls on the believers in that room. And they come out and they proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that everyone could be saved. And time and time again in the New Testament, we see people turn their lives to God and turn themselves over to be used by God in powerful ways. And you and I can be reminded... That the same power, the same spirit that literally raised a dead man to life lives in you and lives in me. And if that's true, if that's true, how does it change the way that you live? You say, my life is a complete mess. There's so much chaos and disorder. He was there in Genesis 1. He knows how to fix your chaos. You say, well, I don't, I, mean, like, I don't have direction. I don't know where I'm going. He spoke through the prophets. He can give you direction from God about what you should do. You say, well, there's some things that are unfulfilled in my life. It hasn't turned out the way that I thought. Joel chapter 2. There's coming a day. The promise will be fulfilled. You say, well, I want a relationship with Jesus. It's like, well, you can have relationship with Jesus, but you also need to acknowledge the Spirit of God living in you because that's better for you. You say, well, I don't feel equipped to do what God may be calling me to do. Acts chapter two, the power of God falls on you and you can do everything that you were created to do and be everything that you were created to be because God is not calling you to anything he's not equipping you for. The spirit of God lives in you. So what are you gonna do about it? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment if you would. If you would say to me today with nobody looking around, Jeremy, I I need to accept him as the Lord and Savior of my life. I want the Holy Spirit to live in me. And today I need to do that. I want you to lift your hand right where you're at. You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. You can put it right back down. Several hands today. If you would say to me, Jeremy, I want the Holy Spirit of God to work through me. Like I want God's spirit to do something through my life that impacts other people. I want you to lift your hand right where you're at. Tons of hands. And here's what I'm gonna ask you to do if you feel comfortable doing this. If you lifted your hand for either of those prayers, I want you to stand up. There's tons of people in the room. You're not gonna be by yourself. Go ahead and stand right where you're at. Today, you're praying one of two prayers primarily. You're praying that God would be the Lord and Savior of your life and his spirit would come and live inside of you. Begin working on your character so that the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness and self-control would be exhibited out of your life. That fruit would be shown. Some of you are saying, no, no, no. I want to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've not even known what that was maybe or maybe I did. I want God to do something supernatural through me, something dynamic through me. I want to let go of my fears. I don't want to try to manage God anymore. I want God to do something through me. I trust him because he's already living inside of me. So I want God to do something through me. And that's why you're standing. With everybody looking at me right now, if you see somebody standing around you and you're comfortable, I just want you to go right where they're at and just lay a hand on their back or their shoulder. Or if you know them well, you can grab their hand. We're just going to pray for these folks that are standing right now. That the spirit of God would come and live in them And that the spirit and the power of God would work through them. And that those that are seeking it would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit today. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for every person that's standing right now. From the youngest to the oldest. From those that have been walking with you a long time to those that this is really new. And God, I pray right now that you would do a work in our lives. That God, today you would save people that desire to be saved. That God, the fruit of the Spirit would be exhibited in our hearts and lives because you're working on our character. You're working on our heart. And God, I pray that you would do a work in us through the Spirit of God. I also pray for people that have stood today because you want to do something through them. That God, today some people are seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that you will answer that prayer for them. And that, God, you will speak through them in supernatural ways. You will help them to accomplish miracles, that their faith would grow, that they would do something supernatural on your behalf to reach people, to witness and proclaim the good news today. God, we thank you for what you're doing in their lives. We thank you for what you're doing in their hearts. God, we believe this is just the beginning of your work in and through us. And we can't wait to see what you accomplish. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing this together. again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com/cantonchurchga.